just going to talk a little bit about the new process of signing up. Um, people seem to be figuring it out. Basically, you um, anybody who's here has gone through the process that you go to the store, you put the webinar in your cart, you check out. Now, the part that I need to just clarify a little bit is once you check out, I have to just go into the store and complete your order. I may or may not do that within a minute. It depends on if I'm out in my garden or working on something else. So as long as I complete your order before the webinar, you're gonna get that email that gives you the link to sign up to Zoom. So don't panic if the link doesn't show up right away. It just means I haven't gotten there, but I will. Um, some people are signing up after the webinar started. That is really hard for me to manage because I have to then go back over and keep an eye on the store to make sure nobody signed up. So I would really appreciate it that with the new system, you can sign up for all the webinars you want way ahead of time. And that way you'll have the emails that let you get in. And of course, don't lose them. Make a folder. <laughs> webinar emails. <laughs> So that you can sign in when we get there. It just it just makes my life a little easier. And if you are going to email me because you're having a problem and I'm more than happy to help, please do tell me your name and which webinar and you know a little description of the problem. And most likely it's just that I haven't completed your order yet. That seems to be the most common problem. But I would appreciate you just giving me a little more detail when you do contact me because otherwise I have a really hard time figuring out who it is and how I can help. Um, so that said, um, I'll just do a little intro and then we'll get going. Oh, and by the way, some people were concerned, Sharon, that because they hadn't been through parts one through seven, that this was a progressive, but this is not, this is never progressive. This is like, uh, it's just that Sharon. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe I should change that. Uh, you know, just, I was just trying to keep track of how many times you guys have, have been on the sure. webinars and. Uh, you just have to put, we'll see what happens next <laughs> with Sharon and Laura, episode 55. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stay tuned for the continuing saga of. Um, <laughs> all right. So, and um, at the end of the webinar, I'm going to tell you about a little thing that we're setting up with Sharon and I um, for, I think, something that you really, really, really like. So I got to stick around to the end of the webinar to find out that little surprise. But we're and Andrea, maybe your phone or something isn't working. We have a no audio because I oh. everyone else seems to have a okay audio. So I don't know, maybe it's your uh, device. Can you type in the chat and just tell her to turn up her sound? Because sometimes that's a problem. Yeah. And the chat is all panelists and attendees, which I just which I just did not. I got it. Chat with we are. We are. <laughs> I oftentimes okay. So Patty, we do have it set up as all panelists and attendees. Thanks. Um, okay, you ready? Okay, Hi, I'm Wendy Mur. Oh, I gotta start again. That's okay, not a problem. <laughs> Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic, and I started out just to entertain myself, learn a little bit, and visit with friends. Um, it's turned into an epic feature. <laughs> And we are, I don't even know, this is 103. I think this is webinar number 103. Um, you know, I really appreciate the feedback that I'm getting about the webinars, and it is what keeps me going. Um, all the hours that we put into these webinars are volunteer. No one's getting paid for being a guest, and I don't get paid for setting them up. So we really do appreciate the fact that you are enjoying them and that you give us feedback. That's kind of what keeps me going. 
Um, I just got an email uh, today, actually, from someone who has been watching the webinars, especially the ones on, on, on feet, and has since changed her farrier, gotten some surefoot pads, and her horse is doing so much better. So we love to get feedback, I know, on, on any of the webinars. And if you can go to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel, put in some comments there, like the videos, um, that would be great. And thank you so much for joining us today on Labor Day. Um, today, my return guests are Sharon and Laura Wilsey. And even though it said part eight, this is simply just the eighth webinar that we've done together. It has nothing to do with the content as a continuous content. Um, but I was just going to keep track of how many times they've been here. So uh, welcome, Sharon and Laura. Thanks for coming out again and joining me. Absolutely. It's a, such a pleasure to hang out with you and all the group that is participating with us today. Yeah, yeah. always so much fun. It really is. So just so for people who don't know what horse speak is and, you know, for people coming and tuning in and watching on the um, YouTube channel, can you just give us a, a brief synopsis of what horse speak is and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, so horse speak is the precise body language of horses. So it's not a, a global broad stroke. It's actually um, very precision oriented. It includes two levels. One level is seeing the world from the horse's point of view and understanding a little bit more details about how they think, how they perceive, what their values are, what their motivations are, things like that. And the other side of it is understanding the micro movements that horses make as they're communicating. So then that's the mechanics of their gestures. And the reason why it's interesting um, to learn that and why a lot of people are getting into it is because when you can understand how they do gestures, how they do postures, how they send signals, you can emulate that with your own body language. And the good news is that most of this stuff is, all, is intrinsic, which means it already exists in the back of your brain somewhere. You're probably doing it when you were three years old and then you, know, you, you exchange that out for verbal content. Uh, so it's in there already and horses only have body language. So when you start to link up what your body already knows how to do with what their body is already doing, all of a sudden sort of the world's your oysters. So a lot of the um, confusion or conflict or things from horses, like we might say vices or stuff we struggle with, a lot of that stuff either melts away or just becomes much more um, solvable because you can understand each other. So that's basically what horse speak is and what it does. Awesome. And then um, there's also a verbal content to their language, right? Yeah, they have some sounds that they make, um, but because they're, um, they're group, so horses as a group, they, they are in the prey animal side, we're in the omnivore side, so we have some of their qualities, but we also have some qualities of hunters. Uh, but it's, it serves you well to not make a lot of sound if you don't want to attract predators. So most of their uh, communication, especially in wild horses, is exclusively nonverbal, but they do use sounds, some vocalizations, but mostly breath. So the way that they use their breath has nuance in it and can mean a lot of different things. Hey, have they studied at all? I mean, like with elephants, I know that they make subsonic sounds, like they right. make rumblings that we can't hear. Does anybody, has anybody looked at that in horses? I don't think anyone's looked at subsonic. I haven't ever felt that qualitative rumbling. Uh, like people who work with dolphins also get a qualitative uh, inner sensation because they're being scanned with sonar 
and you have like a visceral sensation to that. And I haven't felt that, but what I do uh, feel in the presence of horses is that my inner state is very much affected by their inner state. So if they're, for instance, I call it swirly, if they're kind of like on the inside, even if they're steady on the outside, I notice I'm having a hard time breathing. I'm, my eyes are bugging out of my head. And I, you know, by tuning into that, I can then say, oh, I think even though the horse is steady on the outside, inside, there's a lot of turmoil going on. So I, I'm more attuned to that level and I try to help other people get attuned to that level too, because of course that helps us with better risk assessment. Yeah, and um, I mean, certainly with people, you can walk up to your friend and know when your friend's in turmoil, you can feel that same kind of thing because we are electromagnetic energy. I mean, that's been proven that we, I mean, when we look at atoms, they have electromagnetic fields. When you put the collection of atoms together, you're going to get an electromagnetic field. And that was something that was really interesting that um, I had Linda Tillington-Jones on for the 100th webinar. And, yeah, it was awesome. It was really awesome. And, you know, she, she talked about something that I thought was really important, that, that every cell in your body knows its function. Every cell knows that, you know, if it's a liver cell, it's a liver cell. If it's a heart cell, it's a heart cell. That even though they all start out in the same place, they all know their innate function. And, uh-oh. <laughs> from the palace. What's her name? Alice, Alice from the palace. Alice from the palace. Um, and, well, cats and purring. That's always an interesting thing about cats purring. Um, yeah. But this whole idea that all the cells know their job and they all emit an electromagnetic energy, um, you know, there is an electromagnetic field and we are perceptive to that field when we allow ourselves to be, that we all have that ability. Just think of right now, everybody's a little bit like uh, in the keep my bubble bigger space kind yeah. of idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. one thing about um, the pandemic that's been really good is that we get to be more like horses. I think you brought this up last time, that we get to be more on a hyper alert state of our surroundings, which horses are all the time, but we tend to switch off. Um, right. And so it's a really interesting experience when, you know, you have, like I had to have Comcast come yesterday to service and there was a problem, which is long story, but, um, you know, you can feel that the minute he's even at the door, my bubble is so big now. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, you're, you're getting close. You're in that six foot space. <laughs> so, so I think we've all a little bit more expanded our bubbles and uh, it's really kind of a great opportunity for us to learn what that's like, to sense more like the horses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And being more sensitized like that gives us more of a, an internal perspective of what it feels like to be them. So like, for instance, if you're walking into a horse's stall, their bubble is basically as big as the stall is. Uh, but it, if they can put their head outside the stall, that's part of their bubble, which is why some horses get snappy and nappy about their head space, simply because they feel like you're bubble popping. And they're, they're not logical, they're just in an experience. And so they're like, well, this is my bubble and you're just popping it. So you're, it's pissing me off, right? So, right. When you understand it, I'm not giving an excuse. I don't want horses being snappy and nappy, but if you understand it, you can adjust more accurately so you can help them feel less defensive. And that fits right in with the, the polyvagal theory. Um, there's a great quote that I have in one of my webinars. I, I'm saying that because I can't remember who is responsible for the quote, but what he said was that the nervous system is wired for 
connection, but when we've had trauma, it's wired for protection. So when you have that nappy horse that has her head out and her bubble is out into the barn aisle, really what you have is a horse that's wired for protection. And the minute she senses any invasion on that space, she has to defend herself. And so, you know, if we started to look at those types of behaviors, not as a behavior quit it, but as a behavior, I have had some kind of trauma where I don't feel the wiring for connection anymore. I only feel the wiring for protection. And we right. can acknowledge that. Then we can start to shift those horses because we are going to address them in a much more conscious way, acknowledging their trauma rather than just telling them to get over it. You know, I was just um, listening to someone the other day who, who works with hypnotherapy and I, this has a very interesting program. And one thing that he said, he's you know, oversimplifying brain function just for the purposes of what he's teaching. But one thing that he said that really caught my eye was that the prefrontal cortex sets us up to do um, ex advanced problem solving. So problem solution. And so we get into fix it mind because that's sort of how to organize the outer reality to make it work. And that's why we have engineering and that's why cars work and electricity works and things work because we move things around in the outer reality and make it work. Uh, but emotions don't function that way. Emotions function through witness and release. So they have to be witnessed and then release is part of being witnessed. So just the very act of being able to compassionately witness an emotion means it's already set up for release. So when I'm working with horses, I really, this really stood out to me because I, that's my experience with horses. That if we get into problem solving, like what do I need to do to make that horse stop doing this behavior? You're, you're just trying to move the outer world around and make it do what you want. But if you can get into the process of witness and release, 90% of horses who get seen, who get understood from that perspective are already set up to release because they don't want to be that way anyway. They don't like living in a stress state. So they organically just go bloop into a better place when you know how to set up a witnessing experience for them so that they feel understood. And you can't talk to them to do that. You have to do it through your affect and through your body language. Wow, that is so fascinating because, you know, I. I see horses where they've tried to use behavior modification, but that the horses are doing tasks, but they're, you can see that they're emotionally not okay. They're emotionally not with, you know, the, the curiosity and the interest. They're, they're simply trying to receive the reward, be that a click. So, you know, I think that's one of the things with Surefoot that you bring up is that Surefoot is so much about witnessing what is happening as opposed to trying to influence or make something happen. And that so explains why we see these incredible changes with horses, because we're giving them an environment where A, it's a possibility for change, and B, we're standing back and simply observing and watching how they respond. And it's, you know, time and time again, the horses then go, you're safe and I wanna be with you and I'm gonna follow you around. And, you know, and the owners are like, uh. <laughs> but it's innate. And it's another one of those intrinsic things. You don't have to do anything to get the horse to join up or to hook on or anything. You just simply have to offer them a witness opportunity that says, I see you and I see what's going on. And I'm going to give you that opportunity to sort it out. And they're like, so grateful. I mean, it's what, you know, whether they experience gratitude, I don't know, but they, that's certainly the perception. I'm going to answer uh, yeah, two questions have. at the same time. So one is, 
should you talk around your horses? And the other one is, so are we witnessing? Are we allowing them to witness or both? So I'm going to squish those into one answer. So first of all, the reason why horses can be so influential in human psychotherapy is because of the witness and release. So horses can often get into a witness position with a human where the human is being congruent and they're talking about something that's true and real and horses then want to get closer or behave in a supportive role because this is so natural for them. This is what they do for each other. So if you're talking from a congruent perspective where you're lined up with your own truth, maybe you're saying even, hey horse, when you do this thing, it scares the crap out of me and that's Mm -hmm. your truth. But But you're doing it from a perspective of, I'm going to be real about me. I'm going to be honest about me. That automatically sets up a paradigm where the horse can be more honest also. If the horse is in a good place, then that's therapy, the horse on the human. But if the human's in a good place, the horse is in a tough place, then that's like the other way around. So by being congruent with your words, and as opposed to baby talk. Oh, is he a good boy? Oh, he's such a good boy. Look at that good boy. Oh, he's, a, oh, he's such a jerk. He's, so that's all this kind of talking. It's like napping. It's like a nappy, snippy horse. We're doing it with language. So if we're congruent, <laughs> if we're congruent and I say, I feel afraid right now. A horse, I've seen it a thousand times. They take a big breath and they go, they don't know why we're feeling what we're feeling, but they know that if we're supposed to be in a leadership capacity and we're afraid, we're frustrated, we're angry, something's going on. They're not logical thinkers. They don't go, I'm triggering you. They just know that you're two bodies, you're near each other and you're triggered. They don't know what that's about or why, what happened. Or what, and they're in a, as you said before, Wendy, they're in a defensive state. So now, I'm the horse is in a triggered state. They don't have the way out of that with a human being unless a human being helps them because that's, it's usually a human being who who put it in there in the first place. Horses left at their own devices with other horses usually stabilize and go back to homeostasis, but horses in the presence of humans, if people are not stable, people are having a lot of emotional outbursts or they have uncertainty or, or anger or any of those things, the horse gets into a more triggered, more defensive state. And this is really important right now because so many people are feeling stress from the the whole pandemic, whether that's regarding work or home or just, you know, um, being around people all day long that you're not normally around because they're, they're not going to school or they're not going to work. And so, uh, you know, it can put a stress and a strain. And so then we go to our horses and we're not, we're, we've got all of this stuff um, but we're not being honest around it, but the horse is going to feel it and react to it. And so, you know, it's really important for us to, to be able to get to that. You know, in, in my Feldenkrais training, um, my teacher, Mia Siegel, used to talk about uh, arguments that, the, that in, when we're doing a Feldenkrais lesson, an awareness through movement lesson, very often she'd talk about how there's a disagreement in the movement. That, the, that we're not moving in agreement with the whole body. And that as we go through the process of the lesson, we come more into agreement. And so we have this experience, not only with our horses and our other people around us, but in our own internal self, that lack of acknowledgement or recognition that we're not, in, we're not congruent with our own feelings, or we're not yeah. incongruent with our own thoughts. Um, and, and so, you know, this is such a, uh, 
a mirror and a metaphor, whether we're working with our horses or we're working with ourselves or our family environment or our work, whatever, that we get this opportunity to keep having this mirror reflected back on us. And I, th I think that we could use horse speak as much for ourselves as we could with our horses because we have the similar reactions, right? We have the similar changes in facial features and tone and, and body language. And I just wanted to say thank you to Suzanne, who said earlier in the chat, a horse speak has been such a gift and it has helped her connect with her Appy rescue. So mm. it's so great. And that's what, you know, the really, like we were talking about with the trauma and these things that have happened to horses, it's great to be able to communicate with them, to witness them and see, like, it's not them, like, there's a reason why they have some of the behaviors that they have. They're not trying to like hurt us or what have you, but as it's been said, like the defensive nature that sometimes gets in there. And then the great thing about horse speak, it can help you get those little triggers out mm -hmm. by being able to witness them and giving them their space and just have a better view, you know, when you understand the worldview of the horses. And then you can just in the back of your mind be like, oh, we're in a tight corner okay, then maybe you're feeling squeezed because your bubble is getting squeezed. And so then you can problem solve with them and not like blame them for things that like we accidentally did. Right. Or someone yeah. else did. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things yeah. that I've, I've enjoyed, Wendy, about these talks with you and about um, getting into sure foot pads and, and playing with them and seeing some of my people start playing with them too, mm -hmm. is that it does set up this opportunity for the, the blending of the horse self-adjusting with the horse speak pads and, and self-care and also the human being able to step into that role of the compassionate witness. I'm just going to be here with you while you do you, you, you be you, you do your thing and I'm just going to be part of it. And I think that also helps people to relax more and to become more congruent because I've noticed I think you've noticed this too, Wendy, when sometimes when the horses get like real dopey and sway, people get like blah, blah, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes back to the, like the heart math stuff you were talking about before, the energetic field and how, where our hearts are affected by their hearts. Yeah, the, the um, creator of heart math is actually speaking at the Feldenkrais conference, um, which is virtual and I signed up, but I haven't watched it yet. So I really want to go and listen to his keynote speech. Um, so... Um, somebody's asked a question about how the bubble is affected when leading horses on restricted exercise or even grooming. I'll let you answer that and then I'm going to take this in another, I'm going to kind of go on with this train of thought. Uh, how is the bubble affected when leading a horse on restricted exercise, I guess even grooming? The, that's a long answer. I'll try to make it short. <laughs> Basically, the bubble of personal space feels to their body the same way the bubble of personal space feels to our body. So what you're ultimately looking for is body scanning you. So if you feel good about a moment, then probably the biofeedback between your body and the horse's body also feels good. So if things feel good, it probably is good. And if it starts to feel not good, it could feel bad or it could just feel tight or tense or numb even. If it's not feeling good, it might not be good at that moment. So when you're aware of the bubble of personal space for the horse, really what you're trying to do is just stay aware of their need for personal safety and our 
it is, for instance, like Laura said, are you backing them into a corner? If they're in restricted exercise or they're on stall rest, sometimes they're not getting to discharge any of that built up energy. So there's things you can do to help them so that they feel less defensive. So really the bubble of personal space awareness is 50% us and then 50% us being aware of them. And I mean, if a horse is on stall rest, you can use the surefoot pads to help discharge some of that energy and keep grounding them. But the other thing is horses don't live far away from each other all the time. Horses will come in close association. So if everything's good, they're going to let us in so that we can groom them or let us in so that we can lead them. So it's not like we have to keep these huge personal spaces that 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 bubble changes in size or envelopes you, includes you. So, you know, we need to think about that. Is my horse in, enjoying being grooved? Is he including me into his bubble so that I can do something that feels really good to him? Or is he saying, this is really, really uncomfortable and please get out of my space, you know? So we have to be able to keep reading that what's happening in that moment. Which is why we have to be able to read ourselves. So I think the biggest thing about any work with a horse is, is stay present to yourself because your body's gonna give you the messages. So if you're, if you're suddenly not breathing, there may be a reason that you're not breathing that your conscious mind isn't aware of because we tend to just glass over, things just glaze over and like, la la la, we're in our own little, I, have, I love my purple brush and we're just in purple brush land. And the horse is like, I don't care if it's purple, it doesn't feel good. I don't like right. it. Right, <laughs> or I love that brush, bring it on and they're, they're getting closer, closer, closer. So it's really checking yourself all the time and then scanning them head to toe, getting some soft eye focus and being aware if, if their head went up and they're moving away, well, they got, went into a stressed state and they're moving away. If the head's dropping and they're moving closer, then that's what it feels like. So, and I think what's nice about watching horses on the surefoot pads is watching the predictability of things like swaying, rocking, dropping, releasing, yawning, lips drooping, ears drooping, all of that kind of stuff. So seeing a horse moving into um, a happier position and again, we can't say do horses feel happy because then that's a whole anthropomorphic thing. Yeah. But we can say the state feels happy. We feel happy looking at it. Or at least peaceful. <laughs> at least peaceful, right? So you can see a horse moving into that state, that relaxed, deeply relaxed state, which makes us feel good. And when you memorize what that looks like, then the contrast should stick out better. Right, right. Um, somebody's asked me about... Uh, talking about getting sure foot pads and whether a contest needed. Absolutely not. I mean, the whole idea is that there's lots of training videos on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. The quick start guide is there. We've actually got a couple of quick start guides because I filmed it more than once. Um, I think I've think I filmed it three times and there's one in German if you speak German. Um, so you can get started with you know a pair of pads and the quick start guide and the guide is your horse. That's really the guide. Um, the general rule is if there's any complication, if the horse is nervous, anxious, weak, uh, injured or anything like that, you start with hard. And if the horse is basically a calm horse, you start with firm. Um, that's all. Uh, and there's lots of information on the surefootequine.com uh, website. So, um, you know, that's the whole point of Surefoot is that people can do this on their own, that, that Yes, if there's a really complicated case, it's nice to have a Surefoot practitioner, and we are growing our Surefoot practitioner list, and you can find that on the website. Um, but you know, most people are working on their own, and the the lovely combination of 
horse speak lets you be able to pick up on the subtle things that are going on more quickly because you're already looking for them. Um, right. I mean, the only time you can really fail is when you force the horse to stand on the pad or you don't allow the horse to walk off or, you know, you put your hand down by the foot where you might get stepped on. Those are really the, the basic rules is let the horse have a voice and a choice and keep your hand away from the hoof. So I have a really good story to share. It's someone else's story, so I hope they don't mind, but I don't think they will. <laughs> she, she, she's been, she does um, Masterson Method. She's learning horse speak, and she got some surefoot pads. And so she's been going out to some, oh, yeah, some right. rescue horses, and there's a couple horses she normally works with. And there's one horse who's kind of the sentry of that herd. Uh, horses hold different um, responsibilities in a herd. One of them is called the sentry. So this horse is always sort of holding space for all the other horses to get their needs met. Well, this horse one day met her at the gate, we barely let her get inside, and then pointed at the bag on her shoulder with the surefoot pads in it, and basically tugged at it with his mouth. So she said, fine, and she put the bag on the ground. He pulled the surefoot pads out and looked at him, and then and he pulled the brush, brush out and brushed the ground with and it. And she had a book in there. And he pulled the book out and threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> so, she said, okay, I, I, can, I can read this. So she offered the surefoot pads and he independently stood on and then he kicked it to his back foot and wanted it there. And, wow. and then while he's at it and he's having a good time, he grabs that brush again and does the ground. So she says, okay, you want to be brushed while you're on the pads. And they had this whole session that was completely inspired by him. And when he was done, he got off, he touched her a little bit, nuzzled her did a tail swish and walked off. And he was like, all right, you can go on to the other folks now. Yeah, and he's never been, she plays with the other two horses. She's never played with never them. Never played with him. And he's like, wait a minute, Missy. It's my you turn. Need to work with me. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm done with you. Bye. Yep. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> that is so incredible. That is so, that's, thank you for sharing that story. That just makes me smile so much. Yeah. Because it's, it, you know, it really means that he's been paying attention and watching what's going on with the other guys and said, it's my turn. And I'm mm -hmm. so cool. And, you know, that brings me kind of to um, some of the things uh, I wanted to talk about today, um, because we had Laura Plunkett on, on, I think it was on August 12th, and we were talking about the shutdown horse. And so she has some video that I, I, I'm pretty sure I have permission to use it. Um, because I said I was, I wanted to show it to you in terms of looking at the shutdown horses. Because, you know, people sometimes get confused between quiet and shutdown, and, and I'm sure that there's probably some key things to look for. So, um, if you are okay with that idea, I'm gonna. Ah, yeah, I think it's great. We love videos. Find. Um, it is a lot easier when you film yourself if you're learning horse speak. Just to throw this out there. If you set up your phone or what have you in a corner and film the interaction with your you and your horse, then you can start to see all these little things, all later. these little nuances later, because it's a lot to take in when you're in the presence of the horse. And we're just talking about basically energy and all that. And then you're, you know, dealing with all this energy and you're trying to do breeding and, and you're like way facing and oh, ah. oh, he twinkled his ear. Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> So then, you know, on our certification program, our students actually were very hesitant about, you know, recording themselves. And then they're finding it fascinating because they can go back and watch and see like, oh, I missed that gesture or posture or what have you. So it's a great learning tool. Mm -hmm. You just have to get used to seeing yourself on camera. Yeah. yeah. And nowadays it's getting easier and easier to film yourself with um, yeah. the different devices that can track you and things. So I'm just going to, so this horse came into a, um, 
equine facilitated, uh, it's called uh, Equine Learning Center. And they knew that he was, let's just make that big, um, you know, shut down. And so they were just trying to see if he would engage, right? So I'm just gonna play this video. And she was just trying to see if he would, you know, have any kind of response. But this is how non-reactive he basically is, was, because he's obviously improved. And so Sharon, you know, like, um, I think that the, the thing that's so critical here is the lack of anything. Well, his ears are twiggling a lot. Okay, so I'll, I'll take you through it soup to nuts if you really want to know. Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> so what's interesting is when she's with him, this person, first of all, her posture, it's a nice O posture, and she's turned sideways to him. So that's an invitation, her shoulders in, her uh, right foot is in, her left foot is out. And I want you to look at his right and left foot. Oh, interesting. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. So that's an open invitation. Now, if you scroll to the end, after the, the hoop thing, she's facing him and his head can do you notice that he did something? Mm -hmm. Because she faced, she's facing him. So those things go together. Together, even though he might part of him was like I don't want this on my nose anymore he decided to get it off his nose when she changed and put her core on him feet direct on him so that's a different body language message that is I have an expectation on you and so he fulfilled the expectation so he's shut down but he's also fishing for the answer he's saying I'm watching your body language so in in this particular case what I would I would estimate because his ears moved so much. So ears moving and eyes blinking, that's thinking. So his eyes aren't blinking that much, but his ears are moving a lot. So his attention is going forward, backward, forward, backward. And there was a blink right before he moved his head. So in this case, I'm going to hazard a guess, and it is an educated guess, that's all I can do, that he had some kind of conditioning training at some point where he was supposed to figure out the right answer and do it but he was not supposed to react to anything. So the part of his shutdown was also conditioned shutdown. And that's um, when desensitization has gone too long or too far. And the, the horse has learned is I cannot escape. I, there's no point in me ever escaping. His mind was active, the ears were going and he paid attention to her posture change. So he did something when she did something. Um, so all of this stuff taken into account is like you have a horse who's, whose mind is very, very active, but he's learned somewhere, I better not move unless she's told me I can move now. Oh, she changed position. That might be a tell. All right, I guess I'll move the hoop now. So he, he's shut down on the, on the level that he's afraid to move his body for getting in trouble. But he's active in the, in the level of I'm going to use my mind, but horses only they, their brain works in a certain way. It doesn't work like our brain works. So they can only give out what they've emotionally memorized. So they're completely dependent on emotional content memory. They don't problem solve. They don't strategize forward. They can problem solve based on stuff they've already learned to problem solve. But we create strategies. Like we're like, I have a hoop. I'm going to put it on your head. What do you think of that? That's a strategy. I'm going to do a thing. And then based on the answer, I'm going to come up with five different things I could do from that. A horse is going to say, I have this thing on my head. You're standing there. So you must want me to do something with this thing on my head. I'm not sure what it is. So I'm just going to let it fall to the ground. It's very practical 
application. I have, I'm in this reality with this human in this reality. What does this human expect me to do with this thing? So they're in direct connection to the events that are happening. And we're in the big picture. Well, if I can get them to interact with the hoop, maybe I can put it on them and lead them at the neck. So we're like strategizing all over the place. And the horse is like, thing on my nose. I don't, you moved. Okay, I'll drop it. So that it, and if they have emotional impact memory of I'm going to get in trouble for moving, then that's, that's their card. They're going to play that card until they've learned they don't have to play that card. Right. Yeah, there's a couple of questions. One, is this true for many store, uh, stoic courses? And also, is it part of a learned helplessness? Both. Stoic courses are more likely to be able to hold still but still mentally be involved as opposed to really fearful, hesitant horses are, are more likely to just panic no matter what you do. Or they go, those are the ones that are, um, like you say, slush, Wendy. Right. The, the word slush cases are like the fear-based horses that have just left the building. And I've actually met horses like that where if you did put a hoop on their nose, they wouldn't even bother to let it drop to the ground. They, would, they wouldn't move at all. And then you have, you have the outgoing horses that would get just aggressive and like kill the hoop. So um, it's more likely for a stoic horse, but it's also, this is a, an, uh, an aspect of learned helplessness that can accidentally get woven into training. Right, and you know, I always, uh, how do I put this? The term uh, desensitizing always puts my teeth on edge. Mm. And the reason for that is that I want my horse to be sensitive and responsive. And the minute I go into the concept of desensitizing, I am saying that I want my horse to be dull and not responsive. And so I really think that I would, I would love to see this word leave the equestrian vocabulary and be placed, replaced with education. Or invitation. I would like to invite you horse to walk on the tarp and I'll be able to read your body language to say if you say yes or no. And then how can we have some enrichment to help you get more of a green light? Which is part of education. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, when I say education, what I mean is that when you learn, anybody learns anything. And again, I go back to the Feldenkrais world as a way to explain this. The first time you do something, Feldenkrais would call it the first approximation. And it might not look anything like what the final result is right? But it's your first attempt to draw something. Say you've never been an artist and you have to draw an apple and it might not look anything like an apple, but you, you give it a rest and you come back and your second approximation, you attempt it again and you get a little closer and each approximation gets closer and closer to looking like an apple because you're learning the process of drawing, of recognizing the shape, of not needing the excess brain cells that are recruited to try and help you do something that you don't know how to do because we have this incredible recruitment process. When we don't know how to do one thing, the rest of the nervous system tries to come in and say what we do know, and it gets in the way a lot of times. So, this, so we have over-recruitment of unnecessary effort. Feldenkrais called it uh, parasitic effort. Mm. And so as we become more efficient, and the classic example is driving a car, if anybody has a teenager, <laughs> and has watched them drive the car and literally almost take it off the road trying to turn on the radio because they're, they haven't um, fine-tuned the pathway enough 
to only need a few brain cells to actually drive the car while they do other things like turning on the radio. And as the nervous system becomes more efficient on a path, you need fewer and fewer brain cells, which is why it's so hard to get your grandmother to do email because she's so in a rut with her few brain cells on you know, having a turkey sandwich every day for lunch. Um, but that's education. And I want my horse to be educated so that he can make associations between disparate things, as opposed right. to the idea of desensitizing, which means stand there and take it no matter what I do. And to right. me, that horse that we just saw is the stand there and take it no matter what we do. And he's trying them as best he can to kind of read the environment and figure out, well, what is it you really want me to do? Right. Right. Um, and so I think, and also, if you're using desensitization at a certain point, you can't desensitize Earth. <laughs> There's a limit. But if you're using education and communication, you can develop rapport that allows the horse to feel supported by you so that they refer back to you. That's a boogeyman. And they look to the human and go, what should I do about that boogeyman? And the human has some advice. Right. And so that, if that's part of the education then they've learned to transfer their worries onto you and that you will have their back. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's so different to me than um, the idea of dominating a horse or putting a horse in a round pen where the environment is too tight for that horse and causes so much stress. I love your reverse round pen idea. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Oh, sure. Yeah, we actually just did some filming of it. Yeah. Oh, cool. um, so I... I was, I, everything that I, I know about, I was taught by watching horses work with horses. So um, I realized at a certain point at rescues that the elder horses, the ones with laminitis and things that they were just left loose all the time. It was better for them to move around a lot and have access to grass and whatever. And they're old. So they're not leaving. They're, they're fine. So you usually have like two or three of those elders, you know, just walking around the property. Well, one of these properties was really big and had almost a hundred head of horses at any given time. So these elders would just go and visit uh, the different paddocks and they'd move along the edge of a paddock as long and as they could, as much of it as they could reach. And the horses on the inside of the paddock would achieve better well-being by the time the elders were done and left. So I started watching what were they doing and I realized that not only were these elders doing it on the outside of the paddock, but the mentors on the inside of the paddock also had these patterns. So a horse who's really troubled gets sort of encapsulated by one who's in a protector position. They walk a full circle all the way around them or as far around as they can. The one in the center gets calmer because they've been put to the middle of a psychological herd, even if they don't have a lot of space. When you see and like any any herd animals, there's a, a tactic that a lot of horned animals, bison, for instance, mm. the cows will put all the, the calves to the middle and face out with horns down if the wolves show up. So this is a common uh, technique that a lot of prey animals will use. You put the weaker members to the center and the stronger members go around and make those weak members feel safe. So with a, with a horse in a round pen, you're in the center telling them to go around and depending on that horse's experience and their level of comfort, some horses are going to interpret that as you're weak in the center and I'm supposed to protect you. You've got the counter bend then that shows up and they have their head in the air and they're looking and scanning for danger the whole time because the person in the middle is sending them around and around and around and around. Ostensibly in, in horse language, you're saying protect me. 
So then that horse is like, yikes, my weak human doesn't know how to be protected and I've got to do it, but I don't know how to be feel protected either. So I guess we're both screwed. So reverse round pen is being able to walk in a calm, slow way all the way around or as far around as you can a horse's personal space without disturbing them. So you're basically saying, I've got it. I'll walk the perimeter. You stay there. And that's how I've caught some uncatchable horses, wounded horses, um, horses with a total panic attack syndrome. So by being able to set up a perimeter where I'm walking like the protector and they're supposed to stay to the inside, by the time I'm ready to come to them, they're ready for me to come. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, I, I, I always, when I've, I used to take my horses all over the place and what I would do when I got to a new place is I would walk the perimeter of the field so that they knew where the perimeter of the field was, right? And I was thinking more like, here's the fence, guys. This is where the fence is. But, it, but from your horse speak perspective, I'm really saying, and I'm setting up this boundary of protection. Yeah. yeah. And we actually have a client who practiced that. She had a horse that she was just like, didn't really want to open the gate and watch the horses bolt out into this arena. And so she, we're like, go in and do exactly what you said. Go look at the post, zigzag back and forth and just check it out for him and all this. And now the horse, you can open the gate and he will then just nicely go through the gate and go out to his paddock rather than just bolting. Wow. And he also, there is some suspicion that this horse could also be going a little bit blind. And so uh -huh. with yeah. that, you know, she really is like, hey, I'm going to check this out for you. So I know you might not see very well, but it's all good. Welcome. How do you do that for a cat? My cat has taken to leaping over the threshold as he goes out the door for some unknown reason. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yes, he, just, he just leaps like, you know, like two feet over the threshold and we're like, oh, okay, I, I don't know. Well, you know, that's really funny. But in the animal world, so not even just the horse world, but the animal world, the member, the family, the group member who touches objects first owns the object. So if you touch the threshold before the cat can touch the threshold, and then you breathe out, so you're owning the space, but you're also relaxing about the space, you've said, this is my object and it's safe, it's okay. Like our cats won't kill small furry creatures that they bring into the house. They bring it in, it gets away, they don't kill it, and it lives in my house forever. Yeah. Because I've told them, we've owned hamsters and things, and I've said, you can't kill small furry creatures that are in the house. And I said, okay. <laughs> now they bring them in. Yeah, there's mice in the house. Now we have we lots have to... of small furry creatures that we have to cohabitate with until we can catch them. And Laura's like, why won't they kill them? They, we've taught them if you if small furry creatures in the house or a baby chick or something, it's off limits. Even our wild feral cat, we have three feral cats that know everything's off limits. So if it's in the house, it's off limits. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> Careful what you teach, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. It's always so important to have a, have thought through the the process there, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, so Alex, she has decided that my lap is the best napping place. Yeah. We have many other places where she could be laying nope, down. This but is the spot. Nope, this is it. Yeah. Of course. Um, so now, now the next thing I wanted to bring up was um, on, I think it's Thursday, we're having Catherine Wyckoff 
and she's been um, she's been looking at the vagal nerve and the trigeminal nerve in relation to people. She's a Feldenkrais practitioner, but she's also a, uh, certified at the um, at UT Tennessee in equine um, therapy. Uh, I can't even remember what it's called, but equine therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Rehab therapy. Um, and so she's going to be doing a talk relating the trigeminal nerve and the vagal nerve in horses and humans because we've had Hillary Clayton talk about bridle fitting. And I'm actually working on having someone else do a little more applied bridle fitting in the future. But we're, we started looking at this, this issue of pressure from bridles on, on the areas like behind the ears. And then Jillian Kreinbring on Saturday talked about, you know, the, um, oh, the little bone begins with a P. Somebody can help me out here. Um, it's not place. It's where it's right here, like where the ear holes come out, and it's a uh, petro petrosal bone, the petrosal bone. Um, and so, you know, again, we're like PMJ, uh, it's petrosal, not parietal, but that was close. Um, but we're looking at the petrosal bone and the TMJ. And so we've been looking from a bony perspective, but we're also going to look from a nerve perspective. And you, she was talking about you have, you have a rating system from zero to four. Can you talk about that? Intensity level? Yes. Yeah. Um, zero represents a state of inner calm. So that, that's an orientation to, am I present with myself? Do I have enough inner calm? Can I breathe on purpose? Can I <clears throat> have some kind of control over my levels of arousal? So um, if I start to feel some energy coming at me, can I defer that energy and come back to a calm state? So if I can do that, then I have a lot more effectiveness in the world and with myself. And I have a lot more impressiveness to a horse because that's what they're looking for for leadership. So the next things after that, one, two, three, and four, are levels of intensity that you might use in the course of anything that you're doing. So it, it could be like invitation would be level one. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about going that way. So I've turned my head, I've looked, I've invited just with my gesture of looking, I haven't done anything to the horse. Level two, I might be now picking up the lead rope of the horse and looking. So now I'm more directly aiming at the horse and I'm looking at where I wanna go. Usually with most horses that are calm and sensitive enough, that's enough and they start to think, oh, they start to look that way and even get ready to go. A level three is now I need to do something to ask the horse to go with me. So now I need to maybe scoop the lead rope or touch the buttons or take a big step or, you know, one of these things. And a level four would be, now I'm seriously activating energy. So now I'm doing like a swish or a, or a thing or a this or that, when I'm doing something because I need to kind of make it happen. So that's a, just a simple way to think about range of, range of intensity for purposes of, of anything that we're needing to do. And most of us wanna be oriented around level one and two. So the magic happens when you can just think it and it happens when you're riding a horse and you just, I just thought about going into canter and he cantered and it was magical, it was amazing. So that's level one intensity. And if you want level one intensity in the saddle, you need to be aiming for level one intensity in all your groundwork. So if, if you are aware of which intensity you're using for what reason, then you can, you can cultivate uh, and always aim towards that. And, and of course, you're not going to be able to get level one intensity movement if you're not zero inside, because then 
what you're trying to do is so, sort of make something happen external, but internally you might not really be there. You know, this, this reminds me, I haven't done this in a long time, but I used to, um, I used to carry the heart math units and they're little portable units that with a clip on ear. And the reason I stopped was that the clip on ear pieces were so cheap. They kept breaking all the time and it made oh. me crazy. But, but I saw, because then you'd have to use your thumb. But the thing is when you're riding, you want the clip on and basically you would put the clip on your ear and it would read your heartbeat. And the unit has three colored lights, red, blue, and green, and it dings and dongs. There's a different sound for each level. And what I used to do is put, I'd have four riders in the ring and they'd all have their units on. They'd have their sound low so they could hear it, but we couldn't, but we could see the lights. So I could see a student at the opposite end of the arena and know where they were in terms of their heart coherence, meaning that their brain and their heart are working together, right? And then I'd take them through a process and I'd say, what's the one thing you need to do? Sometimes the one thing was nothing, right? But they would ask themselves a question and I'd say, and put it in your heart space. So they would posit a question while they're riding. Um, let's just say, I, I would like a leg yield, okay? And what's the one thing I need to do next for a leg yield? And they just put it here and I would tell them to wait and listen for the answer from their heart and not their head. And it's very obvious when it's a thinking response versus a heartfelt response. And then to do that one thing. Well, what was so fascinating is that you could see the horses starting to set up. They were at one. They would hear the thoughts of the rider and they would feel the thoughts of the rider is probably more appropriate. And when that person got into their heart coherence with the one answer, you would already see it set up. So they would just have to execute what was already available. They didn't have to make it happen. Right. And it was so fascinating. You know, it'd be really interesting for you to use heart math with your students while they're getting in, into, their, into their zero and working because you can see exactly what's going on from the lights at a distance. And you don't, you know, I mean, you can read it anyway, but it makes oh, yeah. it so obvious to, the, to everyone because you can see they're red, green, or blue. And I had students that rode with their heart math for years and, and it really, really helped them. And at this point in time, you know, that's a really great thing to, to practice. You can get it for your iPhone. Um, but, you know, I think it's much better as, a, as the, the um, separate unit because you want the, the phone, the way the phone works is not as simple as the unit for riding. Um, mm -hmm. But it was, you know, it was something that I, used, I did quite a lot of. And of course, now I've let it go. But it just, it, as soon as you brought that up, I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's what that is. Heart and, and, and to be fair, there's moments when um, stuff is happening and, and you need, like, something needs to happen. There's moments where, yeah. you, you know, the horse, you really need the horse to get on the trailer. Or you really need, it's raining outside. You really need to get in. Or it's really, you know, the horse is getting really upset and you have to be able to match that energy without throwing gasoline on the fire. Right. So, so a good, a healthy level four also includes being able to match intensity with intensity without becoming aggressive or angry. Exactly. That you're staying in that. And that's where the heart math, you're staying in that coherent place which is coming from your heart. But at the same time, you can increase your intensity level to ask um, because it's necessary to get done. And the feedback, Marianne, is that you have, a, the, it's biofeedback. It's instant biofeedback. And 
you have the colored lights, the red, green, and uh, red, blue, and green, and you have the different sounds. So the feedback is so immediate. There's, you can't fake it. You can't say, oh, I'm fine, and the light's glowing red, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you, and so it's, it was super because literally, I, as long as the ring wasn't too bright, I could see where my students were uh, across a huge arena. It was really fun. Fantastic. Like just about like congruency. Right. Like exactly. you can't hide from the meter. Right. Which is great to develop your sense perceptions and, you know, what you're feeling inside. That's really, and, really neat. And really, another word we could bring into this is, in, is the word entrainment. Right. And if anybody has not heard of that word entrainment, there's um, neat little clips on YouTube that you can look up where people put a bunch of clocks in one room or they put a bunch of metronomes in a room. And there's this thing that happens with these machines where you give it five minutes to 10 minutes and all of the TikToks are going at the same rate. They start off on all different levels and they find, because mole molecules seek entrainment. So things in motion seek to be in a similar energy with other things in motion. So what, one of the things that we're talking about with this, with heart math and with being lined up or being, you know, in balance, having um, well-being inside of yourself, having zero, really, if you're the master of your own system, then the horse will seek to become entrained onto you. If they're running amok and they don't, they don't know how to self-regulate themselves and you don't have a way to regulate yourself, you're going to get entrained onto that. So you, so the louder noise is going to pull towards itself. So if you, if you don't have a way to get back to yourself and they're doing all of this, you're going to get sucked into their drama. And then you've, all you've got is sort of whack it with a stick. That's kind of all you've got. Yeah. But if you're able to pull away from that noise and get that system going for yourself, the horse will organically, just by process of that's what, that's what nature wants to do. Right. So what horses are looking for in leadership is someone who's calm and centered. That's what they're looking for. You know, that reminds me of Nuno Oliveira, the stories that I've heard of him because I actually didn't meet him, but he would take horses that had never be off in their entire life and they would come into the arena and in hand he would have them piaffing in minutes because they would entrain with him and he so knew it that it yes. was just there. And people were always in awe of that because they couldn't understand how he could produce that, but he produced that because he was so solid yes. and grounded and clear that it was the horse literally entrained. Yes. Yep. yep. And because he wasn't doing anything against the horse, because if, if you're doing something at the horse, you're trying to make them do a thing, it's at them, it's not with them or for them. And piaffing feels great. Horses love to feel great. So a horse who's really piaffing really well, they're like, yeah, look at me, I'm the man, I feel good. Yeah, it's so badass. So it's like, you know what? You're the man, you can piaff. And the horse like, I am. <laughs> I'll just do it. I'll just do that. How did you know I wanted to do this? And it also explains how, you know, you'll see a rider going into a riding lesson with a really, really good instructor. And in the end, they're doing a particular movement, say flying changes, when the student had no uh, experience of flying changes because the trainer is in training with the horse and the rider just happens to be the passenger on top. The problem with that is when they go home, they can't recreate it because they weren't really engaged with the activity. Um, but you can That's see that fun. often. 
Yeah. When Sharon and I do a little bit of writing together and she's just doing a little fun on the ground, like just giving us ground support. And my horse, Jag, she <laughs> loves to please her. It's absolutely hysterical. Cause she's like, you know, Sharon be like, oh, do a little trot or what have you. And we just do it and it's nice. And then Jag has to go and she goes sideways to ears and her lip is just like hanging out. And she's like, look at me, Sharon, didn't I do a good job? <laughs> it's just absolutely amazing. She's just like and such a Sharon pleaser. God forbid she's riding a horse and I'm like in the garden. She will line up to where the garden is and be like, hello, you know, the horse is not, Laura's like, my horse won't move. Could you just come here and tell her she's good? <laughs> As long as Sharon's not around, Jag doesn't need to please Sharon. But as soon as Sharon shows up, she's like, oh, you're here? Like, now you have to walk the trail with us. Yeah. And, you know, she'll make Sharon walk with us. It's really funny. Yeah, that reminds me when I was in Africa in the 90s in Botswana, I was riding the, the, the um, lead horse, right? But the, the person who owned that horse, the, who owned the company, wasn't there. And I was having no problem. And the guy kept watching me and going, how come everything's going so fine with you? That horse is usually such a pill with his, not his owner. And everything was fine until she came back. And then all of a sudden, the horse is like, my mommy's here. You are not supposed to be on my back. I am going to give you such a hard time till my mommy gets back on my back. And that was it. That was, we were done. <laughs> amazing yeah it's really true yeah no it's fascinating so uh well we've blown through another hour i wanted to just pop up one video of a horse on surefoot pads just because we haven't really uh, do it we for those do it. haven't seen this is uh this is such a cool horse he's uh he was raised you know if we want to talk about some um ptsd and harsh training this horse was uh, trained in what's called tope training, which is dancing horse. And it's um, typically, it say again? Is he a paso? Uh, he's a criollo. He's okay. a Costa Rican horse. And so here he is, this is him on surefoot pads. And if anybody ever uh, mistook him for a, a low intensity horse, they would be completely wrong when they get on his back. Um, he's a super high intensity horse under saddle and he used to be a high intensity horse on the ground, but he has, uh, he absolutely loves Surefoot and whenever I go down there, I'll play it in slow motion. He is my demo horse because he will come into the round pen, will not move until I put pads under his feet, then will not move because he wants to stay on the pads and he will just sway and you can see the eye blinks and Sharon, if you want to, um, Share anything about some of the little micro movements that you see as I drag it. I'll start it from the beginning again. Yeah, it, it's really interesting how he's set. His all the bones of his head are set. Like he's he's actually got a little bit of lockjaw going on, you know, where he's he's not like his mouth. His his mouth and his nostrils are very tight. The look at the lines on his face. The skin is pulled taut. The ears are concentrating, but none of that is because he's upset. He's, he's holding himself. He's so inside this process that he's experiencing. It's like if you're really, really, really focusing on something and you screw your face up because you're really trying to hold on to it, you know, and your face just gets really like, you know, trying to hold on to that experience. So when I look at him, I'm seeing how much concentration he's giving to his own experience and his own body. And there, that nice, that there was a deep twiggle, a release of his pole, and his eyes blinked when it happened. And he's just allowing the information to pass from front to back and back to front. So 
we've talked about this before, um, Wendy, and you might have other things to say about it, but if we think of, and from a Feldenkrais perspective, maybe, if we think of that we, we all, all of us mammals, we have a map of our own body and stuff can happen to that map, like training, right? Or, or trauma or life experience. And with a human being, we can actually lose contact with body parts. You know, we, we, we get out of touch with it. Horses never lose contact with their body part, but they can, out of necessity, go into dissociative states and things like that. So when I see a horse doing this, I'm like, wow, that horse is really remapping some territory. Now, he, he's my star, okay, because he, he loves surefoot pads. And somebody's asking what to start out with. So I recommend you start with just a pair of pads, either hard or firm, depending on if your horse is anxious or nervous or calm. Or you could get a pair of uh, flat and slants, because you can see I've used the slant pads behind. But this horse, I can stack. And he's, like I said, he's my, he, I love to go to Costa Rica. Poster child right yeah. there, right? Yeah, he so. is such a poster child. And like, he did not move. I just would walk over and pick up a foot and put another pad underneath because wow. he, he's, he's not he, going anywhere. No, but he's, see the, the intensity look on his face. He's screened out outside reality. He's not paying attention to people or noises or things. He's all up in his own inner world, which is great. That's why he can get stacked and stuff because he's, He's really believing in you. He's believing in this process. He believes in his past. He feels safe by, by what this is doing for him. And that this, you're always making up. Oh, you know where we are? We're all the way back to what we talked about in the beginning. Yeah. Compassionate witness, he can release. Witness and release, it's happening right now. So because he's being witnessed so well by you, what you're doing, what the people are doing, he can release. He can step into the deep, deep, deep release work that the pads are giving him without being distracted by anything around him. So that's, that's what we started with. His face. His oh, that's a short one. Let me see if I have another. And his face is so priceless because he, he just, um, he be, he'll blink one eye. Yep. And then the other, and then alternate blinks and little wiggles. And um, he's and it just. matches hips. It matches what his hips are doing. And uh, it's just another one. Um, so. You know, when you're starting out with Surefoot, you obviously start with one pad and one foot and go around each foot individually because you can actually make them very sore easily. Um, I had somebody and she did what I said, doing one foot and one pad the first time. And then she got excited and she started doing diagonals and different combinations because the horse was enjoying it. But the next day, the horse was very sore because it's working the little tiny postural muscles. And she realized really quickly that she had done too much. So you can always go back and do more, but you can't undo what you've done. And yeah, I remember the video the first time you offered him the pads, yeah. And um, this guy here, he's just, uh, he, but he was a very distrusting soul, had a lot of, you know, harsh training. And so it's so fascinating if you ever saw him, anybody on his back, he's a very high energy, quick horse. Um, and he's totally deceiving here in his chill state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really great. I love what, and you can see how the, the set of his jaw has changed. The, the way that the skin falls around the, the middle jaw towards his lips and mouth has shifted here. The blinking has changed. The ear set has his changed. His hind so end doesn't look as His hind end, and, and that's it. Like, he's really, there's so much, his blinking was in time with his hip movement. So there's so much that he's doing front to back and back to front 
And the more his hind relaxes, the more his face relaxes because they, they take in information through the senses, sense perception, right? So taste, smell, sound, sight. Um, but they feel their feelings through their pelvis. So they express emotional content through the tail. So tail swish up, tail swish down. You know, they do a lot of exaggerated tail movements to display what the feelings are they're feeling. So similarly, if they get trapped feelings that they don't know what to do with, it gets stuck in the pelvis too. And, you know, you say he's a really quick horse. Well, the pelvis is the engine, right? So if you've got a lot of trapped feelings that it's just going, okay, I don't know what to feel. So let's just go. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. And it's really interesting here where you get the big head shake, the nod, the change. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's really now exp extending that all the way up all the bones of his neck and into his skull. You can see like his skull is shifting. Talk about trigeminal nerve, facial nerve, all those cranial nerves. You, the, the, there's like more perfusion in the skin on his face. How long was this session? Um, we, well, the, the, this, is, this is probably a little earlier because I only, or did I change it? He's a horse that we can leave. He'll stand there for 20 minutes and he's, you know, because he's so used to this, it is not stressful for him. Mm -hmm. I would never leave a horse that's swaying this much for more than a minute or two if they weren't familiar, right? If they weren't used to it and we, we didn't know the horse because you could just make them very sore very fast. But this is this horse's happy place to be on pads. And like I said, he comes into the arena and he literally doesn't move. And then I have to take his feet off. Like I have to pick up his feet and kick the pads away because he will not come off unless I <laughs> remove the pads, right? Um, and it, this is a highly unusual uh, horse. I mean, it's very rare to have them be, to see so much sway, to be so uh, able to stack. Like he's, he's an N of one. I don't know any other horse where it's, um, you know, such a situation that, I mean, he literally, he, he would just stay in there and just not, leave and i always tell people you know like take your horse for a walk in between but this character he's he, you know we worked with him many times and um his owner uses pads it's been he's been on pads for a couple of years now yeah yeah well you can see that he loves having agency over his own reality yeah and that's part of it and that's i would say his role in the herd like he's he's probably more of a teacher type so te teacher types also like learning and they they're more interested in um, making change and developing. And so oftentimes you'll see teacher types are, are step into things like this with that kind of self-confidence. Like, I got it. I learned it. It's about staying on the pads. Got it. And I love it. <laughs> I like it. Do it. <laughs> but more, please. Stack them higher. You know? <laughs> we, got we got I understand the concept. Bring on the pads. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a cool dude. Well, Sharon and Laura, we've blown through another hour and a little bit more. And um, it's just, as always, it's been super fascinating and I and, uh, just love the conversations that we have. So uh, somebody's asking when your new book is coming out. Well, I had thought it was October, but I did actually go to the website for our publisher and they, they said January 21. Okay. So we're the last ones to know, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> It'll be, you know, like that, all the Christmas money that you get, you got a place to spend it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Oh, and by the way, like I said, um, we're thinking about doing something really special where um, we'll have 
a, a small number of people will be able to share videos and have uh, Sharon and Laura and I review the videos and talk about it from Horsepeak and Surefoot. And then we'll have, uh, it'll be a webinar based. So those people will be panelists and then we'll have the, the um, auditors be um, as you are today on the webinar where you can put in some things in the chat, but the focus is giving some suggestions and recommendations to those people that are uh, coming in as panelists. So stay tuned for that where we, we've just now form the concept and we have to kind of work out the details, but uh, I'm hoping that's something that we can get up pretty soon and test it out and see how it's working so that you, if you're interested, can um, you know be a panelist and submit videos and photos of your horse and ask some questions that are just personal to you. So great, okay, well, that's it. And uh, just to answer oh. quick, yes, Carol, you can pre-order it on Amazon, the new book, or at the publisher's website. I just jumped on Amazon to make sure that was possible. Great. And um, if they want to find out more about Surefoot, they go to, sorry, um, Horsepeak, they go to... GarenWilsey.com <laughs> is where our website is. And you want we to just type in the chat there? Yep. Upcoming webinars, and we have our club where we do have our attendees send in their videos, and we, have, we, analyze, them. we analyze them with them live on the call with us, so that's really fun. And... Um, yeah, so we have online courses. So if you just go to SharonWilsey.com, then you can check out all the offerings we have going on. Great. And of course, for Surefoot, you can always go to Surefoot Equine to find out all about the pads. And for those of you in the United States, MurdochMethod.com shop, where you went to the webinars, is where you can purchase pads. Um, we list all of our resellers on the reseller tab on the Surefoot Equine website, so you can find resellers in your country. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you guys again. Great to see you. I'll be back to book you in for a couple of weeks from now. Um, in all October, right. actually, I'm going to take a couple of weeks vacation um, before, before we launch into the fall, which is going to be crazy. Um, so stay tuned. And um, just remember, you can sign up for all the webinars that are posted on the MurdochMethod.com website. And as I get one dates, we're just going to put them up. So check back regularly to see if there's any new webinars set up. All right. Thanks a lot. And until next time, bye. Bye. bye.